Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and this is episode 295, just five episodes away from episode 300. It is insane to think that this show has been going for nearly 300 episodes. It seems like yesterday, and I feel like I say that a bit when, like, anniversaries of certain milestones approach, but it's it's really true. You know, time goes by so much faster as you get older, and that's something that I've learned uh, really since, you know, I think I was a senior in high school when I really started to notice that things started to go by at a quicker pace, and we are a very fast-moving society, so uh, this podcast is is no exception, but I'm really excited for episode 300, got some big things in the works, uh, including a really fun guest that I'll announce uh, over the next couple of weeks, and also some changes to the show itself. And I know the show has transformed a bit since I started it back in 2014. It used to be a variety show. Then in 2019, I made the decision to focus strictly on film and television. And for the most part, it's been strictly interview-based. And the interviews will always be a part of the show. But I wanted to do something a little more with it. You know, I I feel like in any profession that you're in, whether it's podcasting, if you're in film, or really whatever it is that you do, you should be thinking of ways to improve your product, your job, whatever the case may be. And this podcast is no exception. I'm always looking for ways to make the show better, make it more enjoyable for you, the viewers, and the listeners. So what I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks, and episode 300 will be kind of the big unveiling of this. But as we build to episode 300, I'm going to add new segments into the show. And I kind of did this towards the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, where I would do a review segment and then an interview. And I enjoyed doing that because it gave me the opportunity to talk about new movies that were coming out, whereas otherwise I didn't really do that on the show before. But there are so many things that come out in the world of entertainment, strictly film and television. And one of the stories that I'm going to talk about today, which I'll get to in a second. But, you know, I want to have that outlet to be able to talk about it. And because this podcast is film and TV based, why not do that? So over the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing segments before each interview. And then in episode 300, the new format will be fully unveiled and it will be almost kind of like a talk show, like a late night talk show, like, you know, Jimmy Fallon, um, you know, Conan O'Brien, you know, there's David Letterman. There've been so many great talk shows throughout the years, but what it will essentially be is I'll discuss a couple of news stories that happen in the world of entertainment, then do a fun segment. And I know that a lot of you are going to be happy about this. Those who watched my morning show, uh, in 2020, the Daily Diamond, uh, the top five list. The top five list will be back. I'll be doing one a month that will be, again, film and TV based in a sense. And I know that a lot of people will be happy to hear that because there are some people who truly liked the top five list that I would do for the morning show more than the actual podcast. And, and top five lists are great. You know, they're a fun way to spark conversation because my list might be different than your list. You know, one listener's list might be completely different than another, and it's, it makes for great conversation. So those will be back and other fun segments that I'll be coming up with. And then, of course, as I mentioned, 
uh, I'll have an interview still each week with someone who works in film and TV. But what I wanted to talk about today is something that's been really dominating the entertainment industry since COVID hit. And that is that movies keep getting pushed back. You know, the the first major blockbuster to be affected by that, I believe, was No Time to Die, which is slated to be Daniel Craig's final James Bond movie. That was supposed to come out in April of 2020. Then it got pushed back. Then it got pushed back to April of this year. And now it's being pushed back from April 2nd to October 8th. And that kind of started the trend again of movies that were supposed to come out in spring and early summer being pushed back to later in the year. So Disney is uh, pushing back The King's Man, which is under the 20th century banner, from March 12th to August 20th. Sony is uh, pushing back Morbius from March 18th to October 8th. Uncharted will be completely leaving 2021 entirely. It was originally scheduled to come out July 16th with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, and that will now come out February 11th of 2022. And one that I know is going to disappoint a lot of people, myself included, because I was really looking forward to this after we saw the first trailer. Ghostbusters Afterlife will be pushed back from June 11th to November 11th. Now, on the flip side of that, Godzilla vs. Kong, which is a Warner Brothers legendary picture, is being pushed up from May to March 26th. That being due to Warner Brothers' new deal with putting out their theatrical releases on HBO Max which I know a lot of people have differing opinions on that. I personally think it's great. I I think it's something that will probably be around forever because there are going to be some people who don't go back to the movie theaters. The movie theater industry might not be the same after this. And and something that I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of segueing into will movies recover from this? You look at No Time to Die, cost, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to make. And if you look at the the box office uh, from James Bond movies that starred Daniel Craig, Casino Royale made $594 million. Quantum of Solace, $591. Skyfall made $1.1 billion. And then Spectre came in at just under $900 million. So when you see that MGM is asking for a ridiculous, insane amount of money in order for, say, like a Netflix or an HBO Max to host No Time to Die, you understand why they're doing that, because James Bond has proven that it's going to make a ton of money. Now, I don't know that we'll ever see a $1.1 billion uh, box office number again, at least in our lifetime, because this is going to be something that affects the movie industry forever, in my opinion, because... To me, Warner Brothers and Disney did it a little bit with you know putting out Mulan as far as like a putting it out on Disney Plus as a, a premium uh, accessory where you had to pay an extra amount of money in order to stream it. But with HBO Max, you know movies like Godzilla vs Kong and we look at Wonder Woman 1984, that came at no additional cost. And if you think about it, it's It's pretty convenient for people, especially those who have families who might have, you know, two to three kids. And it takes a lot to get them out and go to a movie theater. And then you have to buy popcorn and drinks and all that fun stuff. So it's just 
a much more convenient format to have, you know, the ability to stream it at, uh, at your house. And, you know, they, they, Disney did that also with soul. They released that on Christmas day. And that was little side note. If you haven't seen soul, it's an absolutely incredible movie. It was my favorite movie of 2020. Uh, it has everything from laughs, uh, deep meaning, deep emotions, great lessons that you can take away from it. It's just a really, really well done movie. And I know that when you put the Pixar name on something, chances are it's going to be good. But this, when it comes to a storytelling and meaningful impact, this this could be Pixar's best movie. And if it's not, it's definitely in the top three, in my personal opinion. You got to see Soul. It's available you know, on Disney+. Plus. And the cool thing is it's for no additional charge. But I think in order for this to work, other studios are going to have to buy into that model. We've seen it with Warner Brothers. We've seen it a little bit with Disney. Who knows if it's going to happen? And, you know, when I think of No Time to Die Again, what platform could use it? You know, what what streaming platform would make a big impact by getting No Time to Die? You know, HBO Max has a deal with Warner Brothers. They're pretty set for a while. It's not going to be Disney Plus. I don't know that it would be Netflix. You you look at Apple TV Plus, which I know is around, and it has uh, I think it was the Morning Show that I've heard good things about. But you know, you think of a platform like that, if they were to get No Time to Die, that would make a huge, huge impact on the streaming world. I personally don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to stick to their guns. I Well, let me say this. I think if it gets pushed back again, you're really testing audience fatigue with this because mo- going to the movie theater is one of my favorite things to do. It's a great escape. It's a great thing to do for a date night. It's a great thing to do with going out with friends. It's... I don't know, but I feel like audiences could be getting tired of waiting around for these movies to happen. The best example I can use is Halloween Kills. It was supposed to come out this past October, but instead they decided to push it back a full year to October of 2021. That's one that I feel like it would have benefited maybe from being available on you know, some type of streaming platform because I would have loved to have watched that the weekend of Halloween. You know, I, I love the the 2018 remake and this new one looks like it's going to be just as good. So I, I think there are some examples where I can understand like a No Time to Die or Black Widow that costs so much money to make that the best way to do it in theory is the theatrical model. But as we've seen, that's That's going to be changing. And it sucks because a lot of movie theaters aren't going to survive this because the pandemic shows no no signs of slowing down anytime soon. You know, I personally think it's going to be, you know, mid to late summer before we can really start to go out and fully do things again, like, you know, pre-COVID, which seems like another lifetime ago. But I'm curious to know what you guys think as far as, you know, the future of the movie theater industry. I'd love to get some feedback uh, on this as well as the the new changes coming up for the podcast. And I, I think another thing too, when you look back at, you know, say magazines like Entertainment Weekly, 
that featured movies like No Time to Die or Black Widow, where you have, you know, the cover shots with Daniel Craig or Scarlett Johansson. Are they going to redo that whenever they eventually come out in theaters or just going to be a, oh, hey, it's finally in theaters. Go see it. There's so, so many questions with what could happen with the movie theater industry. It's been a very interesting story to follow. And, you know, I, I've, I feel the audience's pain because I am a fan of movies myself. I don't just, you know, come up here and blow smoke about, you know, not loving movies or whatever. It's, I, I, I'm truly a fan. I've loved going to movies since I was a kid. But um, that that's going to really do it for this discussion here. I, I'm I'm very curious to see what happens. I think some of these movie release dates are going to stick. And then movies that were originally going to come out in 2021 will be pushed back to 2022. Like the new Spider-Man is supposed to come out in mid-December. I can see that totally getting pushed back to sometime in 2022. Because you're going to have to push everything back when things do finally start to be released because you can't... Then it will become, I think, too loaded with names. You think in theory, like, oh, it's cool, you go see Black Widow one week and then you can go see No Time to Die the next. But no, there, there's a reason that movies like that are are spaced out. Like, we're going to see some movies that were going to come out later this year be pushed back to 2022. And it's, it's going to... The movie theater industry is going to feel the effects of this for a long time. Not just movie theaters, but just the film industry in general is going to feel the effects of this for a very long time. But coming up next on the podcast is a really fun conversation I had with actor Burke Floyd, who actually has a fun story about his first movie being the first movie I ever saw in theaters. This was a really fun chat. We, we talked about his new upcoming movie, Sour, and just our overall thoughts on, you know, the future of the entertainment industry, the theater industry, uh, what made him want to become an actor, and what happened uh, after he took a decade off from acting due to a personal tragedy that happened in his life. So really fun, informative conversation, a lot of great life discussion, too. Uh, this was truly one of the most fun and informative conversations that I've had on this show in quite some time. And that's not a knock to anyone that has ever been on this show, but th this was a really fun one to have. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. Here is my conversation with actor Burke Floyd. Joining me this week is actor Burke Floyd. How are you, sir? I am great. Thank you so much, Derek. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Appreciate you uh, waking up early to, to do this interview. I know it's, a little, I think, a little early for both of us when we're doing it. So I, I appreciate the time. That's all right. No, I, I, I love it. And frankly, it's uh, later than my normal call time for this last picture I've been on. So it's, it's, we've been catching dawn on this movie. So it's been nice to be able to sleep in a little bit to get a couple extra hours no absolutely no it's and i feel like you know doing stuff like this whether it's like doing an interview or even doing something as simple as like cleaning if you do something productive to kind of start your day it sets a good tone for what's going to happen later on 100 percent. i wake up i make my bed i've already completed one task for my day it's like i start out the day ahead you know it's 
Unless you're Tom Brady coming from behind. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's on a whole nother level though. So that's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So we were actually just talking before we started and I I didn't know this until you mentioned it, but uh, you were actually in the very first movie Mm -hmm. I ever saw in theaters, the original teenage mutant Ninja turtles movie, which was released in 1990. So uh, tell everybody uh, what role you played and what your experience was like making that movie. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a little known. It's not like an IMDb credit or anything. It's the only time I ever worked background on a movie. Uh, I was in Riceville Beach uh, running around, hanging out, and uh, uh, somebody had come up uh, and said, hey, I'm casting a movie. Would you guys like to be in the movie? And these kids I was playing with were from two other families that had come on vacation together and their parents kind of gathered them and we're like, we're leaving, we're leaving, you know, and uh, I was there with a guardian, you know, through the foster. So I was there with this guy who was like, well, does it pay? And I was like, okay, yeah, I want to be in a movie. <laughs> I don't want to have to go back and hang out with this dude. So um, I, they took me to set and uh, at Screen Jump Studios in Wilmington, uh, they picked me up the next day. And uh, I was one of the young teen recruits uh, of the Foot Clan, um, uh, we filmed uh, a- again at Screen Gems uh, in Wilmington on the lot on a soundstage, and uh, it was cool because you know there was a lot of standing around, a lot of um, holding and extras holding, and so I actually worked the entire week. Um, technically, I was there the entire week, but I really only worked uh, two days, um, and so I-, I got to play stickball with some of the stunt guys that were Foot Clan members and uh, in one of the sound stages. And Ernie Reyes Jr. was there. And I, I remember, you know, Sidekicks. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the kid from Sidekicks. That's Ernie Reyes Jr. And, you know, Buck Rogers is in Gil Gerard, You know, like just this whole plethora of, uh, of really eye-opening craziness. Um, but not, to be, uh, not to be outdone, though, I still managed to put my foot in my mouth. Um, because the one of the Exorcist series was filming on Screen Gems at the time as well, and George C. Scott was uh, was the lead, and um, because I didn't have parents, you know, I I had um, this young lady, this PA. Now I know that it's a production assistant in a uh, in a golf cart that would just you know I guess take, took me under her wing a little bit, like this poor kid, like nobody shows up, um, and uh, so we were on the lot. She was giving me a tour of the whole the whole lot and uh there was george c scott and i actually recognized him because my, my grandfather was a big fan and it's like oh my gosh it's Patton. she said yeah that's oh yeah do you you know she's a little surprised you know that movie i think it was 11 or 12 at the time and i go yeah my grandfather loves it that's pat well would you like to say hello i said oh i would love to say hello and he goes okay well his name his real name is george c scott and i was like oh okay right right she's being cool you know don't call him pat and I was like, no, right, obviously, that's perfect. And um, so she arranged it for just a quick handshake. This before cell phone cameras, you know, I didn't even have like a disposable camera on me at the time. And um, I walked up and she said, you know, Burke, Burke's working on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and he's actually a big fan because of his grandfather, aren't you, Burke? And I go, I am, I am. It's so nice to meet you, Mr. C. Scott. <laughs> no, nope, really happened. C. Scott, not not your last name, George C. Scott. I'm an idiot, but I still got to meet him, and it was a really cool, 
it was an awesome experience. I, and then to see myself on the screen, and I actually, there was another extra, another atmosphere working on that as a police officer named Joe Insko. And uh, I don't know how I ended up in a conversation with him. Again, I was like the only person, that, the only kid that didn't have parents or somebody around. And he, he came over and was just talking to me and, and really was so cool and so like welcoming of me and making sure that I was okay. It was no big deal. It wasn't weird. It was just really cool that he was like, Hey, you're part of this family. Get over here. You know? And um, literally I kid you not 20 years later, he played the head of the FBI on Beast of Burden, uh, where I played Agent Uvarov, uh with Mark Joy. And I was like, it's Joe. And I, I fanned out. I fully fanned out. I was like, Joe, and I mean, it was, it was awesome. So that movie, uh, that movie did a lot uh, for me. Kind of, it sounds like it did a lot for you too. The first one you ever saw in theaters, that sort of thing. You know, it did a lot. It did a lot for me as far as really wanting to pursue acting as a career, wanting to do that more, wanting to be a part of that more. Well, it's funny you mentioned George C. Scott because you, you mentioning your grandfather. When I was a kid, I would watch the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol where he played Ebenezer Scrooge. I would watch that with my grandmother pretty much every Christmas for, for years. And it's still probably my favorite iteration of that story because you had him, you had David I, Warner, you had, I thought all three of the spirits were cast extremely well. I mean, the Ghost of Christmas Future was like in a cloak, but the, the way that, I can't remember the actor's name who portrayed it, but even just the mannerisms of that was just so, so well done. And yeah, that when I instantly, when I think of George C. Scott, I instantly think of a Christmas Carol. So it's cool that he had, really uh, cool. you know, an, an impact on you as well. He, he really did. And it was really cool to meet him. It was bonafide the first movie star I'd ever met um, for sure. Um, and, and, it, it was, uh, I wish I had the receipts. I wish that cameras were more prevalent then because I'd have the receipts. But, uh, but I really, it was really cool to have met him. And he laughed. I mean, he laughed when I said Mr. C. Scott. You know, I mean, he, he I, I, I'm sure it wasn't the only time. It certainly wasn't the first time or whatever. But again, that whole experience. And, and you know what it also taught me going forward, just for any actors watching right now, that PA or that atmosphere or that person you have an opportunity to engage with, um, do not, do not step over them to try to be closer to the person who you recognize or the person who's higher up on the call sheet or any of that. I mean, those people, first of all, PAs are going to work twice as hard and three times as long as you. And th with no high five afterwards, generally, no high five afterwards. And like the last show that I was just doing, uh, not the movie I'm on now, but, you know, we did this CBS show in, uh, for Apple TV in Virginia. And some of those PAs, especially in this time of COVID and how working in the production bubble and all of that, um, the PAs on that, uh, Herm and, uh, you know, Christine Conway and Will, like I, I know them. Like they, they really, the, the amount of care that they had for doing their job right and making sure that I could do my job right in a time where temperature checks are required and six feet required and a mask at all times, except when filming, you know what I mean? It was really their PAs, man. And, and they're going to go on and be UPMs, unit production managers, executive producers, directors, they're in the DGA path. So it's, um, it's really cool to see some of them that I knew then and what they're doing now. 
Well, it's great to hear you say that because I feel like there are a lot of thankless jobs in the industry. PA would be one, grip would be another, like those who do essentially the grunt work behind the scenes. And it's good that, you know, someone, you know, like yourself, who is an actor will go out of your way to, you know, in a way, thank them for what they do. Is that something that, you know, you, that you'd started to do early on in your career, as far as like looking at everyone as kind of, you know, equal in a way, because I, I use this analogy a lot is that a film is like a machine. Everyone from the director down to the PA is a cog in the machine. And it takes everyone working together to make the machine run. So what was that, what, what caused you to have that mindset? You know, I, I have always been that way. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm not, I don't know the, the, I can't fact trace because I've always been that way. I can't, I can't think of one, this moment that happened. Other than, again, oddly, coming back to Tina, and I wouldn't have thought of it until you posed the question. That's really, uh, thank you, because I think I just had an epiphany. I think the fact that I didn't have any guidance or parental supervision while I was on the set of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and this young lady who was a PA, you know, was the one that was like, no, come with me. No, no, here. And I, and so I got to experience it from that, so I was, I, before I had the opportunity to have said, oh, that's the person that's the, or that's the, or it matters what that, th these people um, who, as you said, you know, do a lot of that grunt work, man, do a lot of that, get your hands dirty and put your back into it, thankless, thankless work, um, and that the machine won't run without, you know, um, uh, I think seeing it at that age and for the very first time um, to have seen it that way, it's just, I didn't realize that it wasn't, that it was abnormal until later when I was like, Hey man, you know, somebody barks at a, a PA. I mean, you know, I will a hundred percent. I'm not, I don't go angry or anything, but I'll a hundred percent nudge them or, you know, with my elbow and go, Hey man, is your job better or worse that they're here. <laughs> you know, how's your day going? Is it better or worse that they're, they brought you the wrong coffee. Are you serious right now? Someone brought you coffee. <laughs> High five that person. Shoot off flares and celebrate your life, man. I can't, you know, I can't get my son to throw the wrappers of his little morning snack bars into the trash can. And you've got somebody bringing you coffee. Like, go on. And how do you get milk out of an almond anyway? <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is, that's a great question. How do you get milk out of an almond? You know, how do you milk an almond? Yeah. I get coconut. I drank it. I saw it. Yeah. I it with my own eye. <laughs> I don't, I don't get the almond thing. Yeah. That's, I remember the first time I saw almond milk in a store and I'm like, wait a minute. I, I, I should have looked it up because now, now I'm curious. Like when we're done with this, I'm going to look up how almond milk's made just because I'm so curious about that's it. That's actually a hundred percent. You've yeah. got some homework there, viewers. Yeah, exactly. How I'm was going to, because I'm 100% going to, 100%. And who figured it out? It was like, you know what you can do? 100%. Although I will say, I do leave the nut, the pit of my, um, when I make uh, guacamole, I, I blend one, let's say I'm, I'm using eight avocado. I will take one of the nut and blend it in. And it keeps it fresher. 
for like three days. It doesn't go green. It doesn't go brown before I get it to the table. You know, which that that's a trick that that I like. So maybe there is something to be said for for emulsifying almonds. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's science. Dropping dropping food knowledge here on the podcast. I love it. <laughs> yeah, my wife's a 10. I'm a four and a half, man. I, learning to cook well is the only thing I've got going. But I, I will say that there, there is something about cooking that is like a, I want to say like meditation, but I've used cooking as almost like a stress reliever in a way, because when you're cooking, you have to focus on that one thing. And when I'm done half the time, I'm like, why was I mad again? You're, you're, I'm telling you, you, from your mouth to God's ears. That's so true. That is exactly how I operate as well. Um, in the kitchen, I've been on, uh, I, I, I've been on Guy Fieri's grocery games a couple of times, uh, playing for charities and stuff. And, uh, it, I love, I love cooking. First of all, if you happen to come across me on Guy Fieri grocery games, guys, grocery games, uh, feel free to laugh because I was so, I cook and I work in front of a camera. I've never done the two together. And it's, it's like a mind blowing for me. It was like, what am I doing? And it was so, it was surreal. And you know, to your point, it was surreal because when I'm cooking, it's usually just me and the cook, you know, I'm just cooking. It's just me cooking. Like everybody else is off doing something else. I'm making some, you know, I'm making dinner or lunch or whatever it is. And it's just me working. You know what I mean? And everybody leaves you alone because they know the, the, the more they leave you alone, the quicker they're going to get fed. And you're right. It's like a Zen out, you know, and I'm just worried about the timer and make sure I don't burn the, make sure that the, yeah, you're so right. And then after it's over, you're like, cool, that's awesome. And you're eating and they're happy. Or let's say you were having an argument or a disagreement. They're happy because they're fed. They're no longer hangry. And you're the one that made it. So they can't really be that mad at you. And then you had all that time worried about something else. So you're right. It's a, it's cooking's a really rad, Maybe that's why the uh, the family meal thing. Maybe we should check out the family meal style, like Wandavision, that has revisited for us in a right. the sitcoms of your. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because if I were to compare my cooking skills to my girlfriend's, I would say probably the ten. She's a she's a ten. She's really good cook, and I'm like getting there. I'm like maybe a five, a little bit higher depending on what I'm making, but. That right, you got you do come on though, Derek. You've got your signal. What what's your go-to dish? What's your first date, your girlfriend, first time cooking for? What's that go-to dish? You've got to oh, have so have you seen the movie Chef with John Favreau? Sure. So Absolutely. you know so you know the pasta that he makes for Scarlett Johansson that has like the, the garlic olive oil? That that's a solid go-to. Pasta. And you you knock that out. I, I feel like I did pretty good with it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's see, like, I think that's the thing. Like every, you know, there are certain things that like everybody should have in their wheelhouse. Like every, everybody should, should have the benefit of this club in their bag, you know? And um, I think that's one of them is just having this one, this one kind of meal or food. I'm not, you don't have to be the world's greatest chef and it can be something shortchanged or whatever, you know, where there are some tricks and some, some kitchen hacks, if you will, you know, so, um, but that having that one thing that you can cook, that's like, wow, is a, is a great one. That's, uh, that's one of those clubs. I wish everybody had the benefit of having in the bag, you know? So. Absolutely. My, mine's a steak chimichurri. Mine's, I do a, uh, 
I do. I, I've expanded mine over time. I've cooked a lot in the last you know decade or so and really focused on it. But my go-to, just like here we, it's on, is a uh, steak with Argentinian chimichurri and some roasted potatoes. That's that sounds fine. delicious. That's my gig. Thanks. Yeah, it, it works. If it's when my wife's arguing, I'm like, oh, honey, I think I've got a steak in the fridge. I need to. That's smart. That's really smart. <laughs> always carry a steak around with me. Just yeah. uh, always had to have a steak, a steak in your back and pocket. Some Italian parsley. Yeah, here I've got the steak and oh, what's this oh, parsley? Give me one minute. I'm going to whip up some chimichurri. Oh, uh, that's great. I love that. So, kind of backtracking a little bit, uh, what was it that initially made you want to get into acting in the first place? Was it something that you knew you wanted to do from an early age? You know what? Um, <clears throat> I love pop culture. I remember just everything growing up. You know, I, I, again, it's not that I had an interesting upbringing. Um, it was just kind of different, um, you know, living, kind of bouncing around and, you know, from foster homes and the boys' home in Virginia, stuff like that. And I remember watching, uh, I, this is so, this, see, this is before, I, I've got a couple of years. I, I might be 19 in reruns, Derek, but I'm an old man in real life. I remember watching um, an episode, I think it was a two-part episode of Webster. I, I'm not sure if you even catch the reference of Webster, but um, yeah, he, he, was a, he was an orphan and right. um, his parents passed. And, right, okay, so George and Ma'am, George Papadopoulos. So there was a two-parter of Webster. I think it was towards the end of the run of the show where they took a family trip, vacation, to Hollywood. And they were now what I now know, oddly, what I now all of it, I, I should rewatch it. I don't think I've seen it in 25 years, but um, or more, but they're on the universal backlog. And so they run into David Hasselhoff, Michael Knight. They see Kit. They're, you know, they're, they're on the ranch, yeah, you know, with, uh, with the horses and, and that whole Western backlot run. And they're doing the backlot at Universal. And I remember seeing that when I was a kid and being like, man, that looks awesome. And The Goonies was my favorite movie. You know, a group of ragtag group of kids come together, right? And they overcome everything. And, and at the end, you know, they've saved their families and they have a family and they are a family. All of that stuff sort of, you know, really spoke to me as a kid. And so I, I enjoyed the, the medium. I enjoyed the, the escapism of it. Um, and then uh, I started kind of performing, you know, with church groups and stuff, you know, whatever it was that I was doing. And uh, that seemed kind of cool. And like, I don't know if it was cool, really, but it seemed fun. And then I remember uh, my freshman year, I had seventh period uh, study hall. And I was, I was walking down the hallway of building 10. And my, my classroom was right here. And the door right next to it, they shared a jam. You know how school classrooms are. And this girl, who I would later come on and find out is Tina Schottweiner, walking in this other room. And I'm just going into study hall. It's the first day of school. I was like, no, I think I'll go in this door. I'll take door number two. I'll take door number two, Mr. Wayne Brady. And so I followed her in. It was a drama class. And I just, I was like, who is this? And I've got to go find out who she is and talk to her for a minute. So I ended up taking drama all through high school. Um, I did Spark 
School of the Performing Arts Richmond Community when I was a uh, junior, summer of my junior year, played Nathan Detroit in that. And that was at the Encore Theater, which was a professional theater house. And um, that was like the first taste of what theater at a higher level could look like. I mean, don't get me wrong. My drama teacher in school, Jeff Saunders, was amazing. He was awesome and the program was great. But I mean, that was the first time not at school doing any kind of big production. And I was thinking, you know, I'm going to do this for sure for the rest of my life. But it still had never occurred to me that I might get, be able to live off of it. And then um, I forced out my way through life in the acting world and in everything, to be honest with you. I just was like there and somebody said this and I was like, OK. And then it worked out. Um, it doesn't always work out, but it's worked out well enough for me so far. Um, but uh, I, I remember when I realized that I would 100 percent be able to make a living if I if I did it right and stayed focused on it and, and worked the craft was uh, I was with Abrams Artists and I was picking up, I'd done a commercial for, I'd done the Gap Khaki Country commercial and then they brought me back and I'd done the Gap Khaki Swing commercial. Um, both great spots, right? Swing had an entirely different trajectory, speaking of John Favreau, right? I mean, like at that time, that, that redefining, we get a, we get a mention on Friends. I mean, even that commercial gets a mention on Friends. You know what I mean? It, it, that commercial was crazy. Um, and still Forrest Gumping, like, I mean, as soon as this is all over, you know, as soon as I don't have another job, I'll just go back to Morgan Stanley and, you know, to work in the stock market. I mean, that's literally where my head was at this point. Um, and I got on the elevator and I'm riding down the elevator. And I'm like, got the check, you know, I picked up and signed for my check and I've got my check and I'm riding down the elevator. And I'm like, oh man, this is probably, you know, this might be a few thousand, five, six, this could be some serious money in here. Pretty cool. Uh, just like the last one, you know, that's awesome. Uh, and I opened the envelope and was like, well, this can't be true. This is the wrong thing. This has got, like, no, I didn't steal this. This is the wrong check. Uh, and I was like, man, there is significant amounts of money that can be made if, again, if you take that money that you just made, reinvest it in yourself, reinvest and, and share that wealth and try to be that positive force, you know what I mean? And, and, and make it so that people, so you do a good job, so you're prepared, so you're professional, so you're pro, 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 you're proactive, you know what I mean? Like make people feel like they want to work with you. And, uh, and it, it went, you know, I, I took, uh, I took a, a large chunk off. I had a family thing, lost, lost a child. And it, you know, I took, I lost myself with it. And so I took all this time off, um, um, almost a decade, you know, and then now that I've come back, that's really what I remembered was, you know, and I was no one you would want to be around for that decade and, you know, give or take of it. And, and now I've recommitted myself to it in the last year and, uh, and, gone back to that and it's working out again and it's just like when people ask what's the you know what's your what's your secret man hey hey woohoo you know i'm like hey i swear to god one i forced got my way into it so if i had like if i could give you like a secret i would totally tell you i promise but there's no there's no through line of this happened you know what i mean it, it just it, it was a hundred different little things that worked out in my favor um but be kind, like be kind, take a second, 
think about the journey that other person is on. Just be kind and shut your mouth when somebody's upset and you don't know why and it's none of your business and just let them, you know what I mean? You can't solve it. So step back and let it like stay out of the way of it and just be there if they need you and just be quiet and listen more. And like, so listening and being kind are uh, the two. And then, and then all the rest that are like, that you can read in a book. You can see in a book that, you know, you can see like, oh, I should know my lines. Okay. Oh, I, you know, I should understand the lingo. I should take a class or coaching or, you know what I mean? And, and figure out what this means and who that person is and where I stand and what a mark is and how to hit it. Those, those kinds of things too, for sure. But once you're in the room, being kind goes and listening more goes so much further than anybody gives it credit for. It reminds me of this uh, graphic I saw on Instagram because I, I like to look up motivational stuff, you know, every now and then when I'm feeling kind of down or I just need a little bit of a pick me up. And it's this picture sure. of um, Benedict Cumberbatch shaking hands with someone. I can't remember who he was shaking hands with, but the caption says, you're never too important to be nice to people. And that really, that spoke with me because it's true that what you put out in the world will eventually come back to you, whether it's positive or negative. And, you know, and like you said, it's, um, you know, putting it out there, you're, you put good out, eventually it'll come back to you. And it, you know, I think that speaks volumes with what you've been able to accomplish in your career. And even with, you know, the, I, I can't imagine the feeling that you must have been going through through that decade, but it was good that you were able to, you know, get yourself back to as good of a place as you can be, because this other quote that I kind of carry with me is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. 100%. So I, I, I think that speaks volumes about you to be able to, to come back, you know, like you said, after nearly a decade <clears throat> and be able to be where you are. I, I think, speaks volumes to your character well i appreciate that i you know it it really uh what you just said is i mean that's my my favorite life quote is uh, the same boiling water that softens potatoes hardens eggs and it's not your circumstance but how you react and and it's true and you know it's not it, it nothing can excuse bad behavior right and i was just a jerk i was not a nice i was angry i was mad um and, and at anybody else and I couldn't do anything about it and so you know instead of it I finally got to a point where I, I finally realized you know uh instead of wondering why bad things happen to good people I just started wondering you know being excited about the fact that good things happen at all and 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 to focus on that you know and uh and so yeah it's um it's but but again you know the 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 reaching out to people, telling them that you appreciate them for nothing, for nothing, showing gratitude. And by the way, Cumberbatch is absolutely hands down. That dude's a stud. I, he is, I mean, just watch Sherlock. I, he, that is absolutely one of my favorite, might be my favorite character of all time is Sherlock Holmes um, and his perform. I mean, Downey Jr. I mean, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s take on it with Guy Ritchie, 
totally different vibe, really fun, still really cool. You know what I mean? Uh, Johnny Lee Miller, uh, I mean, elementary, brilliant with Lucy Lewis Watson. I mean, that's, that's a great one too, uh, but, but Cumberbatch kind of takes, I mean, come on, you know, you win, bro. You, you get it. Hands down to you, my friend. He, he's a stud. Absolutely. And I, I remember when they cast him as Dr. Strange, I was like, that's perfect. Absolutely perfect, perfect. casting. But I, perfect. I agree with you. Like the, the Downey Jr. Sherlock movies are fun. But if you want that more like cerebral approach, the Sherlock show with Cumberbatch is one of my favorite shows of all time. I completely agree. And, and I think, again, you know, I don't think Guy Ritchie did an injustice to there are people that like are, are angry about that take on the character and on the universe of Sherlock Holmes. And I, I, I get it. And everybody's, you know, opinion, they're, they're, they're warranted and, that's their opinion and that's fine. My, I look at it like, you know, I mean, it, it was Sherlock as a rock star and I don't think it was sold as anything other than that. You know what I mean? It's a uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Like there wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't trying to sell it as anything other than Shakespeare as a rock star. And you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And, and like, I like I liked it. I thought it was bubblegum. It was fun. I mean, mm -hmm. and the character that has its place. But but when you want to watch the character and see both sides of it and all of his flaws and be on the edge of your seat, that that Sherlock series BBC One is nasty. It's so good. I love it. And I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays Moriarty was awesome as well. Oh yes. Holy crap. I gosh, you know what? I will we, we promise that it somehow we'll figure out a way to plug his name because I, I look it up every time I see him on it. He he is and he's a, a brilliant actor. I've, I've seen him in a couple of other things because I look, you know what I mean? And you're he's that show, what they did with that show and how many of the rock stars. I mean, that's one thing actually in the UK. Um, Theater stars have, I mean, currently, right? Broadway is dark and it's unbelievable. Like it's like, I can't, I can't even believe that it's, it's experiencing a prolonged darkness that, that COVID can do that. But um, I, I get it. I'm not throwing casting ill about it. I just can't believe it's like, it, I can't fathom it without seeing it in front of me. Um, but I, I believe it was Law and Order SVU. It was one of the showrunners for one of the New York-based shows um, has said, look, any Broadway actors that are out of work, we're going to try to find a spot for them and, you know, get them on the series. And I love that. I love the support from my, my brothers and sisters in, in uh, AEA and equity. And, um, uh, you know, one of my great friends, Chris Sapienza, is, uh, is you know, one of the on the board of the Philadelphia, you know, and I mean, it's like, you know, for equity for the union and, and uh, he's a great representative for them and a great advocate for them. And it's like, what, what do we do? What, what do we do if they're all dark? We can't do it. Like, there's got to be something. Right. So. Um, so, I mean, that struggle is a real thing for those people and it's unbelievable. But. The UK model of entertainment 
if you're a Broadway star, you are likely on a BBC, or not a Broadway star, but an East End star. If you're a theater star in the UK, 90% of them cross mediums and are doing television and film. And you know what I mean? It, it, it wouldn't, there wouldn't have to be this invitation of we're going to welcome them in and we're going to find a spot for them. They're already working, you know, and um, Patrick Stewart. I mean, you know, there are countless of them that have come here, Bener, you know, Cumberbatch. I mean, Benedict, he, the guy that played Moriarty, I know, I, I remember because I'd looked him up and he, he has all these theater credits as well. And it's like these established theater stars there are also typically established um, television and, and BBC stars as well. So. I don't know. That's a model I wish we could figure out. But uh, kudos, by the way, again, I, I wish I, I knew the showrunner, but kudos to that showrunner that says he's going to get everybody, uh, you know, he's going to find roles for these Broadway actors because Lord knows they deserve it. Yeah, I know that from, you know, conversations with you and other people I've had on the show, just the industry in general is just really still hurting. I know some productions are back, but we're going to feel the effects of it for a long time and we're still seeing it with movie theaters you know theaters in california are still shut down things are shut down all across the country and it's like move theaters that are open there's really no new content to play and now they're talking about you know the early summer releases being pushed back again so who who knows when yeah. it's gonna and, and i feel for like you said the the theater actors too because with broadway being dark and there being no show stages you know what do you do where do you, and, and, you know, if that's a, yeah. And, and that's an across the board kind of thing. Even if you were to put on a show, uh, Broadway aside, uh, you know, a lot of those houses, um, you know, have 13, 1500, 2000 seats. You know what I mean? Um, your small community theaters, uh, all of those other, you know, all of those other venues, they have considerably fewer than that, um, you know, 200 kind of seats or, or less. And, and if you say you can only have 25%, so let's say you could even sell those 50 tickets for 10 shows, right? Or 20 shows. And when you get into what you're paying for royalties, for having put on the show, costuming, wardrobing, lighting, just opening the doors. I mean, I mean it, it's a cost prohibitive thing right now with even, even in the spots where they could technically open, um, there are requirements of... Uh, percentage of, of house and again keeping everyone safe needs to be the top priority but figuring it out needs to be a close second to keeping everyone safe is working that problem so that we can keep everyone safe and keep entertaining and keep bringing that to people um and i think you know right now i'm very fortunate so i just you know i had a month um we were filming a show that i, I can actually say now it, it's called swagger It'll be on Apple TV Plus. Uh, it's from CBS and Imagine Television. Um, and, uh, you know, we were filming that in a production bubble um, where we were tested every day. We, we lived in a hotel where we, we had that entire building to ourselves um, and then, you know, went to and from set. And that was it. It got food delivered and, you know, dropped on a table and, and all of that um, in order to protect the production. You know, those are things that you can't do in theater. Right now I'm doing for Paradox Universe is the production company for Green Apple uh, distributing. We're, you know, we're filming this movie, Alien Cypher, right now. And, you know, our director, Joseph, we have every morning, uh, we have a quick safety brief reminder um, 
of, hey, we're doing this. We have to stay apart from each other. If you're not, if you're rehearsing, if I say rehearsing, masks up. Picture up, masks down. You know what I mean? Picture up, masks down. Otherwise, I don't, I don't care. We, we don't take our masks off until we absolutely have to. And we're still testing. We're still doing all the things that we have to do, you know, to, to be compliant. But I mean, even then, his, his concern for us and for the production is, is real. And in theater, those, that kind of thing doesn't, the entire thing would be masked down. That's the only way it works. You know what I mean? You're, I mean, I've done it. I, you know, I played Roger and Rand. In, at the Nederlander and you know my track never had me running around but I mean I know for a fact there have been a couple of shows that I've that I've had to run from you know it's been not not a Broadway show but you know a couple of regional shows and small where you know it's I, there was one I kid you not Derek there was one in Ephrata Pennsylvania I did a show where I had to leave stage right out the door of the theater I had to run around the outside back of the theater, back up the steps through the left-hand stage, stage left stage door, and then make an entry. <laughs> and it was, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know what I mean? It was so much fun. At the time, I was like, and I was young, so I was like, I could totally do it. Man, there were, there were absolutely the first five or six times trying it where I was like, <laughs> Just have water on Someone standby. A hundred percent and an oxygen mask. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, in, in theater, that's a world where where again, it's just we, we have to figure it out. We just we have to figure that out. And yeah. and there, it's an amazing medium, and I don't want it lost on us. And you know, um, I just we we got to figure it out. Well, and I have so much respect for the theater industry, specifically the acting, because with film, you know, if you mess up your line, you can always just cut and then redo it. But sure. I, I kind of look at it 100%. as, you know, you're without a safety net when you're on stage. And in a way, if you mess up, you have to make it part of the show. Uh, did your background in theater help you prepare for your acting career as far as in film and television? I would say it did, you know, um, I think. Um, I think just what you said, actually, the fact that you're working without a net um, made it to where they could throw stuff at me, right, um, proverbially, and, and it could be, let's do this instead of that. Um, and I was, I was comfortable with the idea of just shift, of pivoting this whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Um, I did, uh, I played... The, after Spark, I was still in high school. I was a senior in high school, and I did uh, I did the show Oklahoma. I played Curly in the show Oklahoma uh, at another high school, a different high school than my own. Hired me um, and paid me, you know, like a few hundred bucks or something. And I was like, I'm getting I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, and then I did that summer that that spring. I auditioned for The Wizard of Oz at Theater 4, which is now uh, Virginia Rep, Virginia Repertory Theater, but it was Theater 4 at the time. And uh, they cast me as the Scarecrow. And, you know, uh, Bruce Miller was the director, and Bill Whiteway was the Tin Man, and Deb, 
Deborah was the, uh, the Dorothy and like Stacy True. I mean, like like these local, bona fide local celebrities were in this show, um, and I was just you know, I mean, my eyes were huge. I I I like I remember reading the theater section of my local newspaper, the Richmond Times Dispatch, and Roy Proctor was the guy that wrote for the theater section, and I remember reading it, you know. Um, and I would read, I played football, so I would read, I'd read that the Saturday morning scores and the article, you know, every once in a while, if I was in an article, I'd be excited. And then I would read the, the paper with the theater stuff and the reviews for theater that Roy was writing and, uh, for the Richmond Times Dispatch. And like, I'm now I'm on stage with these people and um, I made plenty of mistakes and they helped me with it. And I was overly ambitious and they helped me with it. And, you know, things like that. And Billy Dye, the, I remember Billy Dye was the, the choreographer and he was like, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not a dancer, I'm an athlete. And he was like, I can work with that. And that mentality, I, I remember that mentality and him being like, no, 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 it's okay. No, 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 no. People would be like, oh, you're doing coffee grinders? And I'd be like, what's your coffee? He's like, no, no, shh. Don't worry about it. Stop, stop talking to him. Stop using dance. Stop, stop. Just let me handle it. You're not doing coffee grinders. You're just going to do that little move that you were doing where you're spinning around and jumping over. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I can do that. And he's like, yeah, you can do that. Like, it's that, you know, it's that thing of, of um, force gumping it. And the fact that Billy Dye was patient enough to be like, this kid doesn't know, you know, a flat ball change from a Botma. I do now. Do you see that, Derek? Yeah, I do now. <laughs> Thank you, Billy Dye. Um, but, but you know, he he just told it to me in a way that didn't scare me, you know. Um, and he had the faith that I would be able to do it in the end, and and I was, and and I think that absolutely helped me uh, in in a number of you know walking into the room, and there's you know when you get a call back and you're now in the room, and it's like. Uh, there's still a respect. There's still a, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's still uh, this like awe to some degree, but there's also this acknowledgement on my part, not intended with any arrogance, but like they, I'm also a cog in this machine. They need me to do this right. So like uh, we're, we're kind of on, we're kind of on the same playing field in this moment, right now, in this moment, right here, it's you and me against the world. Let's do it. You, you know, and that kind of mentality that theater has um, helps with when you get on screen with somebody you admire or are starstruck for or any of the above. It is genuinely, it genuinely, I think my experience in theater and getting that out of the way um, helped. Because again, you know, I, I got up there and there were all these these local people that I'd read about forever. And there they are right in front of me. And I'm like, holy cow, I can't believe it. I'm here. And then as it, you know, through rehearsals, I was like, oh, that's right. I'm also a part of this group. And, uh, you know, that it was really cool. It was a, it was a great experience. Uh, and everything that I used in, and I still love theater. If I, you know, it, when it comes back, I'd love to, to, to go do a show somewhere and, and, and all of that. But right now, you know, um, we got to figure it out. Like I said, it's just, you got to figure it out. Yeah. Well, hopefully as the year progresses and the vaccine gets out more and is available to more people that things will, things will get better. I, I think, and I think they will. 
it'll take some time, but oh, I think for they sure. Will. For sure. It's, it, it's a matter of what, what we do in the, it's what, what do we do in the, in the midterm for all of these incredibly talented individuals and not just the actors, you know, I mean, there are, there are pit orchestra musicians that don't have a place to go right now. And I mean, there are countless thousands of people involved in a successful production um, anywhere in our country. Um, and, you know, and also where's their outlet anyway, let's say they've got a second job and, you know, let's say that was their second job and, and financially they're fine. That's awesome. But like, you know, my, Lee, my, my wife showed me this thing, you know, uh, of finding, and I'm absolutely not going to be able to quote it, but it was this really cool thing that she showed me about how if you don't, what you're passionate about, if you don't find a way to exercise that in some way, in just some way, every single day, um, just a little way, every single day, you know, you, you end up, that, that profoundly affects you. And, and, and that can become missing a day isn't the end of the world, except that it's also a slippery slope where you can end up missing several. And then, you know, and she, it, she's right. And, and it's uh, whoever wrote that is right. But I'm just going to say my wife's right because that gets me further in life there. That's, yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, but, uh, but that kind of thing is true, you know, and where, where's the outlet for, for these performers right now? So um, I just, you know, I, I love them all. And like I said, Chris Sapienza, and there's a bunch of people um, out there. He's just the one that I personally know. They're working. They're working so hard to figure it out. So um, I, I'm excited to see. I, I've been excited to see some of the stuff. There's a lot of places you can see cabarets. There's um, there are ways to get little videos, little cool videos from some of the performers, you know. And, um, you know, I mean, it's 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 a pretty rad pretty rad community the theater community and I, I, I i'm proud to have been a part of it and i hope to welcome you back at some point when we get up and run. Yeah. absolutely so as we start to wrap up here i did want to ask you mentioned you're you're currently filming a project do you have anything else that you want to plug that might be in the works or coming out soon yeah absolutely and thanks for that man sorry this actually like, for example, why I'm on the show with you, why you've welcomed me on the show. Thank you again, by the way, for having me. No, absolutely. Yes. yes. Overnight pictures. And I try that again. I totally Peter, Peter Brady that. Overnight. Yeah. When it's time to change. <clears throat> Overnight pictures. My character in the movie I'm currently filming shouted a lot yesterday. Just so you know, we had an action thing and it was hot and dusty. That's hence the reason why I'm crushing water and it sounds like I'm experiencing puberty. But Overnight Pictures, uh, uh, I did a production with them right before the, the shutdown. We got it under the wire, in under the wire, um, called Sour. Uh, and that is going to be available this uh, early in 2021, I believe March 1st. Um, it'll be available VOD and Amazon, you know, all of your, uh, but of course, there are always negotiations now because it doesn't go to theaters. There are negotiations about who's going to carry it out of the gate. So, um, but that'll be available March 1st. Um, it's called Sour. It's a thriller. Uh, it's, got a, it's got a slight kind of hard tinge to it, but it's really mostly a thriller. Um, I was so blessed to work on that. Clay Moffat, the director, actually just had a, uh, another movie I'm not a part of come out called The Rise of Sir Longbottom. That's brilliant. Like, so I'm excited to see what he's done with Sour, Natalie Mayer um, is the, my co-star in it. And she's fantastic. Um, 
Adam Berardi was an EP. He's also in it. I mean, the movie's just, it is a, it is a smaller cast, um, which is so cool with a thriller. It's so cool because it's like being at one of those murder mystery parties almost. You know what I mean? We all know the outcome and what's going on, but there's still this like, this, this, buzz this energy that i think translates and uh, i'm really really looking forward to uh to that one so again it's called sour i play marcus i, I really I, I can't wait to for everyone to see it i can't wait to see it myself but I, I can't wait for everyone to see it so from overnight pictures no i'm looking forward to seeing it and definitely going to watch it uh, when it's available but um, do you have any, I know we've kind of touched on this throughout the, the episode, but uh, what's one piece of advice that you could give to an aspiring actor? Um, uh, if you believe your good reviews entirely, you have to believe your bad reviews entirely. And that goes for everything in life, not just for so if one person says that you are the best, you're the best, and you're like, I am the best, then that also that one person that says you're a jerk, then you are a jerk. None of it's 100. No one's 100% any one thing, including right. And so take everything measured and celebrate your victories and, you know, get up dust yourself off on your, your losses because they're going to be a lot more of those and move forward and just try to stay positive the whole way and try to get more you're the best out of it but do it for the love of it not for the high five and don't forget that you know character is how you behave when nobody's looking so you know don't take a victory don't post every time you're volunteering don't like volunteer all the time and let somebody else be the one to say, Hey, that's the guy from, you know, like, I love that we've gone this whole time there and not mentioned Dawson's Creek. Like in all of this stuff, Dawson's Creek has been what everyone has wanted to talk about. And I love that. It's like, we had so much other, so many other things because you're a great interviewer and the other people that have mentioned it are great interviewers too. But I mean, it's like you had a different take on it everybody's got to hold on to what makes you you and and enjoy the ride that's it that's that's i don't know i'm not you know i i leave the smartest stuff to i'm if i'm the smartest guy in the room i'm in the wrong room no but that's but what you said is true though it's absolutely true you can't nobody is 100 percent one thing if you pay attention to those who praise you you also have to pay attention to people who critique you because those who critique you can make you better I mean, yeah, we can say, oh, like I'll use myself as an example. If everybody's like, oh, you're the best interview I've ever heard, then what else do I have to do? If I'm the best at something, what else do I have left to prove? You know, it's uh, aspiring to be better, I, I think, is is great. Whatever, whatever medium you do, whether it's acting, hosting a podcast, whatever the case may be. So that's that's great advice. I love it. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, that, that's the bit that I hold on to also. And last thing before we get out of here, uh, do you have any website or social media you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, my website is www.burkefloyd.com. That's B-O-U-R-K-E floyd.com. Uh, no relation to the purses. 
nothing. <laughs> and then uh, that helps. That's the only way that anybody ever knows. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, my Instagram is uh, Burt underscore Floyd. So uh, come check it out. Come hang out, man. I'm, I'm excited to, to share some of this stuff with you. And I, I'm also excited to hear what you guys are up to. That's the truth. So um, if, if you follow me, I'll follow you right back. And if you message me, if I find it, I'll answer it. it some, sometimes the messenger, we all know, can kind of put them in different places. But I love keeping up with people that are keeping up with me and, and, and making, making friends. So uh, please let me know. And let me know what you think is sour. Absolutely. And you'll have one more follower when we wrap up this interview. My man, I appreciate that, Derek. Thank you so much. Oh, Burke, thank you so much for this conversation. This was a blast. This was a great time, man. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. And, uh, and keep your chin up, man. It's, I love the show. I'm loving the show. Thanks again to Burke Floyd for that really fun conversation. Be sure to follow him on social media and stay tuned for his upcoming film, Sour, which will be released sometime in early 2021. For next week's show, I'll be chatting with local actress, writer, and director Elysia Marie to talk about her feature film debut, Zombies. That's Z-O-M-B-E-E-S. Zombie Bees. And if you're not excited about that, I don't know what you're doing with your life. But be sure to come back for next week's show for that really fun conversation. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could, please leave a review. The more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. You can also find me on YouTube. Just search for Derek Diamond and you'll find the video versions of the episodes there. And you can also follow me on Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast for early access to episodes. If you want to ask the guest of my show a question, you can subscribe to the show on Patreon. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ddiamondpodcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. Thursday.